1: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost
0: Chronicles
1: Next Generation. I am your captain, Ron Kolick, New England's own Van Helsing, and joining me all the way from the Bridgewater Triangle mm-hmm. is that sexy science office <laughs> officer, the blonde <laughs> bombshell herself, and Kerrigan.
2: Oh, my goodness. Wow, thank you, Ron. Wow. Oh, my God. It's mm, strange, wow. isn't it? I'm, I'm so happy. <laughs> oh, good.
1: I'm glad you're happy. I'm you're happy. happy. I'm happy.
2: And I'm back from vacation and happy to be home and happy to be back here. Hope everybody's doing well. Sure. Uh, yeah. Just,
1: just ducky. Does anyway, that- <laughs> anyways, joining us today is someone we had on a show, what, two or three weeks ago, I think.
2: Yep. 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 Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah. He is uh, someone I've known for a long time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's the closest uh, closest to a pugilist I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> he is an expert on the Bridgewater Triangle. He is Chris Belzano.
3: Good afternoon. How are you? Or good evening. I guess I should say. It's mm-hmm. hard to say. Evening, good. It, it looks like it's about three. It looks like about noon time where I am right now. So yeah, uh,
2: oh,
3: yeah, that's
1: good. That's great. the summertime. Second loving party. it, loving it. Yeah, plenty of vitamin so, D out there. So Chris is, a, for those who don't know, is a is a legendary, uh, folklorist, folklorist, and also a paranormal investigator, and uh, he was the curator of paranormal. Crossroads, and he's an author. He wrote uh, a book with um, what's his name? Uh, uh, I can't think of it. But he's unimportant. I'm sure you you wrote most of it, anyways. (laughs) On haunted objects. (laughs) So, yeah. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me on. As always, love talking to you. (laughs) So, Chris, I mean, we were on. We had you on last time. We talked a little bit about the. Bridgewater Triangle, which is you know, mm-hmm. such an intriguing place, and I mean, we we talked a lot about Florida and legends and everything, but I wanted to get more into the the Bridgewater Triangle. And I didn't want to talk about just like the the regular crap that goes on in the Bridgewater Triangle. I want to go into the darker stuff, the 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 weird things that's mm-hmm. associated with the Bridgewater Triangle that mm-hmm. perhaps a lot of our listeners don't know about. I mean, the yeah. so.
3: Some of the weird things other than me about the Bridgewater Triangle. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So,
1: so, I mean, let's, let's you know, there, there's so much. I mean, I'm looking at this, is uh, something I actually got from you, and it it was uh, made in 2006. I believe it's called Mysterious Bridgewater Triangle. It was done by uh, Chris Pittman, uh, Chris Balzano, and John Horrigan. Uh, who's got a fantastic? I wish I had his voice. I really do. I'm sorry, but anyway, uh, mm-hmm. it's he does. He has a great voice.
2: That's a but, voice for radio. Let me tell you.
1: Oh God, I, that voice kills me. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know much about him, but uh, his <laughs> voice is great. Anyways, um, th- there's like 32 things on this thing, I and mean, some of them are common, but there's also a lot of weird stuff on there that I, I really didn't know about, and uh, I thought we could talk about is there something particularly you want to start us with chris or
3: oh no i i, I want you to you to be the driver anything you want to talk about it, it's funny when we made that uh that cd he came to i was living in wubert at the time so he drove to wubert uh and we could not find anywhere to record and so we ended up recording it in my bedroom in heat much like this uh, we had to <laughs> turn the air conditioning off. We were sweating. The laundry was out, so my underwear was all over the place. It was it, It's such a weird thing <laughs> to hear how – what a good job he did on that CD. Just pressed up for me to think of, like, how sketchy it was the day we actually recorded it. But it's a really good uh, CD. I don't even know if you can get it anywhere anymore. I have a few copies that I sell at events, but I, I don't think you can even get it out there anymore.
2: No. I got one bouncing around the house somewhere
1: i not do. exactly
2: sure where it ended up. Yeah, I think I got it from you, actually.
1: Oh, okay. You got a, uh, oh, okay. a bunch of
2: them. You, Ron. Oh,
1: okay.
2: You got a bunch of them. He gave away his prizes for something or other. And
1: oh, yeah, yeah. Probably, I one. probably got them from Chris.
2: <laughs> <laughs> got a stack of them.
1: Yeah. But not anymore. I have one left. and uh, In fact, I, I I listened to this thing the last time I did the show. Um, I did... Uh, I listened to the whole thing again, and, and it was it was intriguing. So I'm just going to uh, grab one of these things, and, and I hope you can remember this crap, uh, uh, Chris. So anyways, let's start off with something that's really obscure, and I'm sure you don't know anything okay. about. Big black dogs. Yeah.
3: Um, <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> I thought there was going to be a question involved, not just, black dogs, go. Black you, dogs, I brought
1: uh, up the subject. You tell me about black dogs. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I get it now. I, I, it I wasn't a yes part. and no question.
3: <laughs> 23.
2: <laughs> um, uh, 42.
3: You know, the, the, the Bridgewater Triangle has a lot of I'm gonna, very wait, weird, weird put, animals, take, oh, you know? Everything.
2: What? I, what?
1: I gotta compose. I'm gonna laugh.
2: I'm, I'm gonna, <laughs> you gonna off and compose yourself. Right. Oh my god! I, I turn my microphone up. Go ahead. Alright.
3: <laughs> hey, talk amongst yourself. Um, right. The, big, uh, the dogs are actually probably one of the first things um, outside of the research I was doing. I heard about because uh, I heard uh, the stories first in uh, Aaron Cashew's first documentary. Um, not the Bridgewater Triangle documentary, but uh, I think it was called The Weird Bridge, or Inside the Bridgewater Triangle. It was what he made as a student film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as they were going into the actual Hakamak Swamp, this was one of the things that they uh, were searching for, right? It was a real boots on the ground kind of going out there. And these black dogs have been seen for years uh, in the triangle. It's one of the kind of the, the constant or consistent things that people see, especially... Now, I'm going to say this, and for those people who are not familiar with the area, um, when I say that they're so often seen in the Hakamak near the actual dog track, the random dog track, some people might think that these are escaped animals uh, for some reason or or, or something like that, but these are gigantic, larger than a wolf, larger than a dog, um, and people have reported seeing them with these glowing red eyes in the woods and in the swamp. Um, very rarely do you hear about a person getting attacked. I know there was one I'm not even sure if we cover it on the C D, but I know there was one instance where they uh one took down two horses. Oh, uh, wow. I believe it I believe it was in Bridgewater itself. Um and these things have been known to um just kind of appear out of nowhere. They uh, are sometimes people feel like they're being watched and then they eventually look around and what they're confronted with are these gigantic dogs. And and when people see them, I think dog is the closest thing that they can relate to it. You know, there's been some debate over whether or not they are kind of like a form of Bigfoot, like a non-bipedal Bigfoot, because they are so gigantic um, mm-hmm. and they seem really fierce. Like I said, they don't they're not known to attack. But people get very intimidated, very nervous, and of course, then the legends. What size are they,
1: Chris? Are they like the the size
3: of a horse? Um, I would say somewhere. I would say more like maybe a pony. Um, Okay. So they're they're bigger than you would imagine a dog or a wolf to be. Maybe even the size of like a a a, a bear. Oh, right on (laughs) cue! Right. (laughs) (laughs) See, he's like he's totally got to cue the dog. That was awesome. You know, so that's, we're talking about one that would be, you know, twice the size of what we would consider like a normal bigger dog. Um, their long, their snouts are generally tend, tend to be longer, and it's that blackness of them and the and the glowing red eyes that people that stand out to people. Mm-hmm. And I
1: mean, you know, black dogs, uh, you know, like black shucks and black dogs. There's a whole pile of hellhounds. They're, they've been mm-hmm. seen all over the world. Uh, do you think this is a variation of those other, th- other uh, dogs that have been seen around the world?
3: I do. And, I, and I, people rarely see um, just black dogs. So what happens is they experience some other paranormal thing usually after they see the dogs. Um, so they're uh-huh. considered harbingers. They're considered, like, warning signs that other bad stuff is going, is going to go down traditionally. Um, it said that if you see it uh, three times, you will die immediately. <laughs> like one time, oh, really? warning you something. <laughs> Two times is actually a blessing, and then if you mm-hmm. see it a third time, it means that like you're next on the slab. So it's it's <laughs> like sort of like
2: a banshee, <laughs> Bans-
1: sort
3: of like a banshee then, kind of. Yes, yes, a banshee or a Tinder date. Either way, um, you no, know, yeah, like it is this um, thing that people. Uh, they're unnerved about it enough that they go and do research and then they want to report that they've actually seen it. And there's, unfortunately, like MUFON or, like, um, uh, even Bigfoot and, and, of course, paranormal investigators, who do you go to when you've seen a dog that weird, weirds you out, right? Like, it's not, it doesn't seem rabid. It doesn't attack or anything like that. So They can't call them normal people. Uh, and it's kind of falls in between the lines of, you know, most paranormal or supernatural specialists And so a lot of these don't come out until someone posts something and then all of a sudden everyone kind of jumps on it and says, I saw something like that. And You know, um, over the years, so many animals that are exotic have been seen or spotted or documented in Massachusetts that aren't supposed to be there. Things like panthers or, or, you know, Mm -hmm. um, uh, mountain lions, well, mountain lions, I guess, are somewhat, you know, yeah. Frequent in Massachusetts, but animals that are that are either escaped a zoo or they were held by a private collector and it got out. That people kind of laugh them off these black dogs, but the people who actually experience them are always profoundly affected by them.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Hmm. That's uh, uh,
1: so. There's never a photograph. Never one's ever taken a photograph of one of these Hi. dogs. I assume. So...
3: No, and, and the the honest thing is, like, I haven't heard of a good black dog. Uh, encounter since I left, so I don't know if they're connected to me somehow. When I'm the harbinger, so <laughs> <laughs> I would say in the past ten years I haven't heard, but consistently and, and throughout history, people uh, have reported that in the in the area of the triangle, especially the swamp.
1: Okay, so you mentioned uh, in your your, your uh, oration on the black dog, uh, the uh, Raynham. Uh, Dog track and there's a yeah. lot associated with the dog track too.
3: Yeah, so see dogs. the issue is uh, you're like dog track go. Um,
0: <laughs> the <laughs> thing
3: with the uh, the random dog track, and actually I was I, once again I was just talking to Aaron um, the other day, uh, and we were doing an interview and he, and he makes complete sense out of why the random dog track seems to be uh, in a lot of ways kind of the the, the visual hot. Spot of the triangle and uh, the reason is because it's right essentially inside the Hockamock swamp you know this is a large meeting area where right. a lot of people go to and they travel and they don't they come together not now it's closed but if I'm not mistaken but yes. it's essentially you know once you get past the parking lot you're in the Hockamock swamp so the things that people see in the uh, in, in the swamp, they're going to see in the random dog track because it's literally part of it. Yeah. So people have reported um, a lot of UFO type activity uh, over the area right next to next to the park. Um, uh, it's been the site of actual UFO abductions from the parking lot, um, and once again, you've got those, those not only the black dogs but also um, pterodactyl sightings or these large bird sightings um, have a lot of them have happened in that. Uh, in that parking lot over the years. Mm. And and there's also reports of
1: like the strange balls of light that have been seen there.
3: Mhm. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I what I meant by the UFOs. People have seen a lot of um, unexplained lights, some of which they've attached to vehicles and some of them just seem to be uh, ghost lights or orbs. Um, some of them have been like darting like at the like at a very very fast rate. Others have just been hovering. Now, obviously, the first thing that people are going to go to is, well, you're on the edge of a swamp. It's swamp gas, right? Uh Um, You know, and I've always been – I'd love to hear, Ron, what you feel. I've always been sketchy about the swamp gas um, explanation because it seems just like a really convenient way for people to explain away any time they see weird lights in the sky. Um, Ron, how do you feel about that? Ron, how do you guys feel? Do you you guys believe in – this swamp gas, because as far as I know, have they ever been able to duplicate that in a lab or anything like that? Like actually prove scientifically that this stuff happens as frequently as it as they say it does? Do you want to take that on hand? Because I'll definitely comment on it.
2: Well, I don't. I don't think that you can write this off to swamp gas. Uh, what is swamp gas? I mean, uh,
1: Sw- swamp gas I, is when the when the methane in the swamp uh, basically. Uh, well, there's a couple of things of swamp gas. One is the methane, okay. and it can actually light. And the other one is uh, it's refractory as, as well.
2: So so if it's swamp gas, what's lighting it on fire? Well,
3: it's not necessarily. Well, I think it's, a, Go ahead. think it's a combination of it could be, you know, like lightning uh, that does right. it, or it could just be a spontaneous kind of thing. Um, okay. Or it could just be like the heat and humidity. I mean, and that's kind right. of where I fault with it uh, is that people say, "Well, what is the igniter?" And and you know, it, it's a convenient swap excuse gas, or convenient
1: swap explanation. Well, but gas. like, and compared to UFOs, they were, there are there's, there's there are so many natural phenomena that we we don't understand, and uh especially the lay people and. Uh, It looks really. I mean, you could, for instance, you can look on the horizon on the Great Lakes at time and see an entire city uh, across the water, and yet it's not there. It's just a refraction of the particular things and blah 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 blah. But there are conditions that that does cause that stuff, and and the gases as well as reflectatory and light beaming off them can look like, um, for instance, a flying saucer. so th- there is some right. scientific evidence, but it, it's saying everything uh, like everything, you come up with one explanation, and automatically right. you blanket it on everything that's that is light phenomena. It's yeah,
2: it's, which is just yeah, yeah.
1: yeah.
3: It, yeah it's just stuff. I've just come into a lot of uh, um, legends that I'm dealing with, uh, especially this summer. And as and, and you say, everyone say swamp gas, swamp gas. You know, I was just editing the book yesterday, and I'm reading this section. It's like. Seriously, that much swamp gas. And, and when they say swamp gas, it doesn't have to be a swamp, right? They say it for cemetery. They say it's uh-huh. the, the, the the methane uh, and the and the ethane that that have been released because of the bodies right. that have been buried for 200 years. There's still gas coming up. It's like, uh, no. All right, enough to make a, <laughs> enough to make that many ghost lights consistently in one section for a long time. It, it's just kind of uh, odd. And, and of course, that happens in the Bridgewater Triangle because a lot of people focus um, their energies or focus their attention on the Hakamok, right? Um, right? And the weird thing is is that you have the UFOs and you have the ghost light, but the Hakamok is actually probably the least ghost light reported place in it, and it's a swamp. And then you right. have other sections of the Bridgewater Triangle that, are much, that much more frequently are you seeing Ghost lights? Are you seeing UFOs? Are you seeing, you know, those kind of unexplained things? And it's not necessarily a swamp, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's, it's funny we, how we do do that blanket, you know? Yeah, we do blanket it, but
1: I mean, we, there are so many phenomena For for instance, ghosts like like orbs. You know, there there are many conditions that can cause an op, and and. What you explain it away as is, is is what you believe it. You know, it's like, oh, I know this is it's nothing because it's dust particle or it's a uh, an right. insect or something like that. So you know, all those things also can cause uh, uh, visual light uh, anomalies as well. Uh, you know, an insect with the r- the right reflection off it can look like a a light that flickers. That's true. Um, Yeah. And there are there are other uh, like, well, we'll go back to the swamp gas. If swamp gas comes up, it it could like a burp, basically a bubble. And so you have a reflection off it. And so sometimes you get that same look. But I I agree 100 percent that people just use that explanation for everything. And and it's not it's not shouldn't be done that way. You should, you know, look at the possibilities. But uh, I think it's a, a case by case situation.
3: Yeah, and it, it, it's it's funny because, you know, I have I have one uh, one that I studied up here called the Oviedo Light, and going to see these, the this either swamp gas or going to see uh, whether it's the ghost that, that's been reported there that has a great legend attached to it, um, it was mm-hmm. a family event, right? It was where, like, you took the kids or you, you and your friends went to hang out, or if you were lucky, you went there with a date and, you know, you got to park afterwards and And these ghost lights are such a frequent thing in the paranormal. And it's funny that, um, you know, whether it's in the Bridgewater Triangle or somewhere else, um, they're they're always uh, event places. People go then afterwards to kind of witness them again. And the random dog track is one of those places where people go or went, I should say, just with the intent to try to watch those lights.
0: Right. Mm
2: -hmm. They're not even open anymore, are they?
3: No. No, they're not. They're not. No.
2: All gone. I now, think, from, I, from what I
3: understand from Aaron, they're building a commuter rail um, kind of over the existing rail that goes through the Hockamock, and they're mm-hmm. going to make the Raynham Station uh, dog track. They're going to turn it into a, uh, a stop. Oh, that's yeah. okay. So they already have the natural parking lot, and it's going to be a stop yeah. on a new commuter rail when they mm-hmm. rip it through the Bridgewater Triangle.
2: Yeah. Perfect. Uh, yeah. You can see all that stuff by train now.
3: Well, the whole thing yeah, is going be to be cool. is it going to get more activity or less activity with this train going.
1: through Yeah, but you could actually do ghost tours on a train. All right
2: mm-hmm. that's narrated. Fun. Yeah,
1: going go on 110 miles an hour. Anyways, uh, talking. You talked about cemeteries in your explanation, and, and on the Bridgewater Triangle thing is a haunted cemetery. What, what cemetery are they talking about, Chris? In, on the uh, CD, the haunted cemetery.
3: Oh wow. Um, I believe it is conscious. Gotcha. This, this is really it is the um, is it the Palmer Burial Run I believe? Um, is one of the ones that is the most active. Um okay. and it is it's the one where you have uh wolf calls, so especially if you if you are out there um, with the um, <laughs> with a female, um, mm-hmm. you'll actually get like a you know, like in woo woo woo, <laughs> like they actually call the the women, <laughs> um, and it's one of those um, it's one of those ones that uh, people have seen the soldiers, in, and it's in Rehoboth, right? And so I always get my Rehoboth cemeteries uh, kind of confused, especially years later, because every single one of them seems to be active, mm-hmm. and then Rehoboth has to be the most the most cemeteries in any town ever. Um, I wouldn't think because Rehoboth is really small, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Rehoboth is famous for always saying we have more horses than people. And yet, (laughs) if you actually look at it, the first time I ever legend tripped, um, first time I ever went out out looking for ghosts, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. We went to Rehoboth because so many of the stories from the 1994 book, The New England Ghost Files, which I know you're both very familiar with, um, half the stories were in Rehoboth because that's where the writer was from. Okay. And so we decided to hit a few of the, of the locations. And so I was working at Suffolk university library at the time. Um, and you know, there was no map quest. There was no, I mean, this was being before MapQuest. There was no travel thing. Like I literally photocopied the road guide, uh, from one that we had in the, in the library. And oh, I kept cool. saying, what are these little brown spots? Um, and I know that there were cemeteries and there are dozens and dozens of cemeteries in this small little place. Um, and they're all ridiculously active, uh, especially the bigger the cemetery it seems, the, the, um, the, <laughs> the, the more activity goes on. Um, and it's funny because I was, uh, the first night we went out there, um, the guys told us, because we we stopped at a, at a Dunkin' Donuts, and we were kind of asking, you know, the people in the town, like, "Oh, do you guys know of any ghosts, <laughs> anything like that?" And of course, to get Dunkin' Donuts. Um, and every time we went back, because we kept going back, because it was it was it's right between it was right between the um, uh, what do you call it, um, um, Anawan Rock, and mm-hmm. the most frequent frequent place to see the red-headed hitchhiker was this Dunkin' Donuts. So we kept hitting it all night, and every time we went in, we'd buy some coffee and we talked to whoever was there. And all of them were like, you got to go to the River, Palm River burial ground because um, your feet will get pulled in. Like, what are you talking about? Your feet will actually get pulled into the ground. So a lot of people walking in that cemetery have reported feeling like their ankles are getting grabbed and that something mm-hmm. is trying to, like, pull them under the ground. Um, wow. And we went under wow. there, and we, oddly enough, we didn't feel it there. We felt it at the, the Shade Factory Pond. Um, but it's one of the things that people talk about most frequently. Um, that's also the location of one of a, a, a really strange uh, cemetery puck wedgie experience where really? someone, yeah, yeah, where someone. Um, Going there during the day, which is also unusual, this kind of usually a Pukwudgie setting happens at night or they happen kind of like, uh, you know, at dusk type. And this was in broad daylight. This person happened to see uh, this little person that they couldn't explain darting behind a headstone. Um, And then when they went to follow up on it, like, you know, what was that? What did we see then? They just kept walking. They would they would see it a little bit further into the cemetery. Same thing this little thing darting back and forth. And then the odd thing was, uh, in that circumstance, they were they were looking at it, and it kept going like kind of to the left. Uh, and so they're watching it going to the left, and all of a sudden from the right, they started to see, in the daytime, ghost lights. Um, wow! And these ghost lights, so these orbs we actually, are called. I we'll actually Ipiwanka. have to take a break right now, Chris. <laughs> so you're gonna have to keep that thought about
1: those ghost lights and whatever else is in this silly little cemetery. So, anyways, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles. Um, Next Generation with Ann Carrigan and Ryan Colick. Our special guest is Chris Belzano, and we are brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrick Street and Methuen, Massachusetts, and the Glant Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street in the Andover, Massachusetts. We'll be right back.
2: Welcome back to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ron and Ann. And our special guest this evening, uh, Chris Balzano. I went, Wow. Whoa! Wow! Right through my
1: head. You had a blonde moment,
2: huh? Oh, every day. (laughs) Every hour of every day. I don't know. But uh, can I just interject for a moment about the Rehoboth cemeteries? Please do. Yes. Just for a moment. So, there are 55... Cemeteries in Rehoboth. Holy crap. 55. I, I ran over to the shelf, grabbed my Guide to Massachusetts Cemetery book, and started counting. And of those 55 cemeteries, 33 are family. Oh, I'm going to kill this dog. Our family cemeteries. So that's why you have right. so many cemeteries in Rehoboth. And Rehoboth was founded in 1645. So, okay. That's a very, very, very old town, and so people just had these little family cemeteries in their in their their yard. You know, Uncle Uncle Joe died. Throw him out in the back. You know, we'll make a little cemetery. So that is the predominant uh, cemetery in Rehoboth. This is a family cemetery, and uh, like Palmer's River goes back to 1717. So that's a, a very, uh, for this area, <laughs> more of an ancient cemetery. It's not 1645, but 1717, you know, it's in the ballpark there. So uh, there are, that's that's why you have so many there.
3: Right. Okay. And, and the, unlike other places, um, so many of those, uh, family ones, because Rehoboth has gone through so many dramatic changes over the course of 400 years, yes, but even over the course of modern times, that um, those cemeteries are preserved and accessible, mm-hmm. right? And that's what makes them so uh, unusual, is that you can actually, it's not like it's in the back of someone's property. These are things that are close to the street, things you can actually go and see the headstones and... and and oftentimes, depending on the neighborhood you're in, people have attached, like, a little story to it or something that they see there. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very cool. And it's, you know, Rehoboth is just one of those places that's just far enough away from me that I'm hardly ever there. Although my, that's why my <laughs> daughter, daughter is getting married in Rehoboth, of all places, in September. Um yeah, the only cemetery that I've been to in Rehoboth is the Village Cemetery, which is on Bay mm-hmm. State Road from 1773.
3: And actually, so, and actually, the Howling Man is in uh, the Village Cemetery. He's not in Palm Really? River,
2: so, Ooh. Yeah. so did
3: you get Whistle that?
2: Nice. Did you I'll get, get whistled over there or no? Did I get whistled that? Not that I'm aware of. Oh, okay, <laughs> all right. You should have brought a
1: recorder, so you might have gotten an EVP one.
2: Oh, if only I had known when I was there, I probably just was down there and stumbled across it by pure accident. But uh, I'll have to go back.
1: So, one of the places that I actually had a. Uh, chance to go to with Chris was Freetown State Forest, and he, Chris had written a book, uh, Picture Yourself Ghost Hunting, and he asked me and my team to uh, go out with him, because he was recording the DDB for the book, and wanted to see a team working in the outdoors, and And you're very photogenic. Uh, that too. <laughs> and the uh, the Freetown oh, yeah, State Forest... <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you do. The Freetown State Forest has a a lot to do with it, other than the puckwudgies. So the, there is, there's this darker side to it, it? Too, isn't it? The ledge and all and everything.
3: Mm-hmm. So you
1: want to well, go my, into that a little bit? It's not. A, uh-huh. I will
3: totally. Uh, it's actually <laughs> yeah. the, the the subject of my very first book, uh, Darkwood. So even before the picture yourself ghost hunting. Right. Um, I was, I was asked uh, kind of offhandedly by my boss at the time when I worked at, once again at the library. He's like, hey, you know, um, I heard that there's weird stuff that happens uh, in, in this place called Freetown in in Ma- you know in, in the other part of the state. Uh, why don't you look into that a little bit? And so he actually asked me during work hours to, you know, to do some online research. And what I found is that it had to have been everything that you experienced in the Bridgewater Triangle – you can experience in freetown you know people call the hockamuck swamp the 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 heart of the Bridgewire triangle and i say that freetown is the soul um and of all of that and i could go for hours and hours just about the weird things about the forest and about about uh hauntings in freetown but one of the the most active places that people consistently have weird things happen, including Ron Kulick, um is at the mm-hmm. Asana Ledge. And it is a quarry uh, that was dug out uh, at the turn of the 1900s. Um, and so it's this 100-foot-tall cliff um, with what people say is a bottomless abyss of water below it. Um, And people have often seen, a lot of people have seen, ghost lights in that area. Uh, Mm -hmm. So they've seen them kind of hopping down the cliff, um, like Mm -hmm. going down and then then into the water. Um, People have seen them. This is the the one that really freaks me out, uh, that people often debate if you're on top of the ledge, which is a very dangerous place to be, if you're on top of the ledge, one of the most notorious things that happens is you are overcome with the desire to jump. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're said that there are at least two dozen suicides that have happened at wow. that location. And I've never been able to confirm that number, and I think it's probably ballooned. But the reports that I've gotten are people are there, they're partying, it's a party place. When, when when Ron and I went there, there were people up at the top, we're at the bottom, there's people at the top drinking and having fun and partying. And oh, party.
2: yeah. <laughs> of course.
3: And people have been known to all of a sudden just kind of become, the best thing to do is just, just to say possessed or at least obsessed, right? Where all of a sudden they have start to have these really bad thoughts, these really negative thoughts, and then they you should just kill yourself, you should just kill yourself. And they walk to the very edge of it. And friends have to stop them, right? Friends have actually had to physically pull people, pull people back. Um, one of the other things, and this is that's disturbing to me, right? But it's one of those. It's really oh, yeah. hard to say yeah. where that comes from. Right. One of the things that I've always been amazed that I've never been able to experience at the ledge myself is people say that if you look into the water at nighttime, you will see. Uh, these lights underneath the water. Now, if oh, you talk wow. to Alan Alps, uh, who's a detective there, he'll say, you know, all of the Freetown State Forest is a dumping ground for crimes that happen in other places. You commit a crime in Boston, you drive the body to Freetown because it's easy to get to, and you're in the middle of nowhere once you get there, whoop, mm-hmm. and you dump the body into the woods. Um, mm-hmm. He says that this quarry... Uh, That this ledge quarry is one of the most used to be one of the most frequently frequented places to dump bodies, and so he said we have no idea how many people and how many bones are down there. He said that divers now. Keep in mind for people who aren't from the area, um, if Rehoboth is 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 rural, uh, Freetown is probably just about as rural. So we're not talking like they can get high tech equipment and they can get funding for this and. Um, they've got to go with like local things that can that can. Uh, what you, know, you have to, to prove the crime, and then all of a sudden, you know, the, the state police will jump in and, and the money comes. So they send divers down or local people down to try to recover, and it gets too cold, and they come back up. But he's heard from you know an informant that oh yeah, this crime happened, and they and they dumped Joe in the in the in the sonnet ledge. You know, they dumped him in the quarry, and they go and they can't find the body because it's so deep and it's so cold that they end up coming back up. So according to him, there could be, you know, a hundred people who have died in that water over the course of history. Um, Mm -hmm. I should say over the course of a hundred years because um, one of the things we found out, because there's a, it used to be called the Islamic Ledge was a Pukwudgie hunting ground, and that they would take, uh, they would lure um, Wampanoag to the top of the ledge and then push them off to their death into the water. And we were telling this story at a Freetown Historical Society, and a guy raised his hand. He's like, "That that wasn't there <laughs> until like hundred <laughs> years ago." Um, it's like, what? Like that wasn't there. That was just a, just a mound. Like there was no cliff there. There was no water there. And then that's how we found out that there was an actual, um, you know, it was an actual quarry that was man-made and things like that. So for about 120 years or so, you've had these reports of people dying in that water. So if you're on the top of the Asanet ledge and you look down, people describe it as if there is, like, a boat of light. Uh, and some people report it as a, a whole bunch of, like, little lights all over the place coming to the surface of the water there and then almost – and then very quickly, boom, being yanked back down as if, you know, they're trying to crawl to the surface and get out of the water. And then all of a sudden oh. an unseen force pulls them back down.
1: That's oh, creepy. That's horrible.
3: Yeah, <laughs> that is, yeah. That is something I would, you know. And then, and then, of course, there's UFO sightings there too. So people say, no, just like Ram was saying before about the gas, like no, what you're actually seeing is something else, and it's just reflecting in the water. It's not actually, you know, something in the water. It's something that comes from it. It's like, well, I don't think people can mistake that because there are UFO sightings there as well, where people are on the top of the ledge. And then all of a sudden a floating craft will just come kind of eye level to them and then zoom off really quickly. Oh, mm-hmm. that's freaky. Yeah.
1: Very awesome. so the, uh So you don't know uh, – there's no Indian legend regarding Freetown State Forest, uh, is there, uh, that you could find?
3: Um, well, you know, it is. Uh, it is the, the centerpiece, the town of Freetown, and so the forest is kind of a major part of that, right, because it makes up most of the town it seems, um, was part of what's known as the, the, the Freetown Purchase, right? And so it was the biggest actual transaction of land for money uh, in Native American history up to that time, right? Right. And it was one wow. of those things where they had said they didn't like that area. They didn't want to settle that area. They didn't want they – were, they were kind of weirded out. The Hakamaka, which we've talked about before, means the place where spirits dwell, right? Um, <laughs> and so it was clearly a place that had a, some kind of weird spiritual ghost-type thing going on. And the same thing was true for Freetown. Um, and so they didn't like it. They only settled there a certain part of the year where hunting was and fishing were really well, and then and then they, they got out of there, and so they had no problem whatsoever selling this uh, selling this huge tract of land to the to the, the colonists, the Plymouth County uh, Plymouth Colony, um, and then the, the odd thing is is that if you're talking about led the legend of it, right, um, mm-hmm. that purchase is is one of the major dominoes to fall, which directly leads to um, King Philip's War. And the one of the signatories uh, for the Wampanoag is John Sassamon, which I'm, I'm hoping i am get that name right. It's been a while. John Sassamon, who is the man who is killed, which is the direct trigger of the, the King Philip's War. And he was one of the only Wampanoags to sign off on it. So a lot of people say that that document and then that, that transaction is what led to a lot of the activity in all the Bridgewater Triangle because it was kind of the, the moment where um, where possession of this really weird place went from the Wampanoag, who might have held it sacred, to Plymouth Colony, which had no intent of, of, of creating balance with it, but rather just wanted to uh, own it which was weird mm-hmm. for, for them in the first place. So it, it, it oh, you know, and then, of course, you have uh, within the forest, you also have profile rock, um, right. which is said to be the face. It's actually gone now. It, it right. um, it's lit. Yeah. It's said to be the face of Massasoit, who is the, the great sachem. You know, when people talk about uh, uh, the Mayflower appearing and then and them finding the, the Native Americans, it's it, uh, the Wampanoag they're coming in contact with, and that whole Um, connection and the, and the first Thanksgiving and all that, that's um, that is Massasoit, Right. And so it's said to be his faith. And one of the legends that's attached to profile rock and people, I'm I'm not sure if since the slide, whether people have continued to see this, but they they will see uh, a person praying on the top of that rock, which isn't very high. Um, Mm -hmm. And that person will be glowing uh, they'll kind of have like a light around them, and then if you approach, he immediately disappears. And this has been recorded oh, wow. for decades. People have said this. And what it's supposed to be is um it is supposed to be the spirit of um, King Philip, and the story goes that just before he was captured – um, it, it's very Jesus-like, this whole story. Um, <laughs> just before he was betrayed by one of his, his, his followers, his close friend, um, he knew that it was going to happen. And so he went up to that rock to make a direct contact with his father, Massasoit, who had passed away. And it was essentially this very intense ceremony, or very intense moment of prayer where he knew that he was going to be betrayed. He knew he was going to be killed. The war was going to be over, and he was asking his his father to take it away, right? Uh, and and it said that it was so intense that he actually also, you know, uh, um, sweated blood or sweat blood while he was up there. Very like that's why I'm saying it's very much like Jesus, and that he asked to go, and it was such an intense moment that there's a residual haunting uh, of that actual moment, and that people used to go up there and they used to actually see King Philip up there praying uh, a few days before. He was betrayed by his own people.
1: You know what's interesting, Steve? Uh, yes, yeah, Steve. Whoops. I'm Chris. That was, the show befo- <laughs> that was the show before. All right. <laughs> okay. You know what's interesting, Chris, is that when we went with you and we went to the uh, the base of the ledge, you were the, the mm-hmm. uh, body of water us, and we had the thermal imaging camera, and uh, wow, yes. they they were looking at the top of the ledge, and we could see all the – these uh, profiles of of, uh, what appeared to be Indians up there, which was, you you know, it was the trees, I'm sure of it, but it was so interesting because of uh, all we dealt with and everything. And and it it just, they they absolutely appeared like figures of Indians on the top of the ledge, which was intriguing.
3: That's weird. I I remember seeing, uh, I remember us stopping what we were doing at some point. And and it's, it's funny because, I've been told about that. I've been asked about that night so many times because, you know, the YouTube video of what happened oh, yeah. out there and all that stuff. And so people ask me, so like, oddly enough, that was a pretty intense moment. But there was other really weird stuff that happened. And, and I always remember, what was the name of the firefighter? Uh, Dan
1: Passant, who, was, who was, God bless his soul, yes. he's passed now.
3: Yeah, Right. Um, I remember him being, like, literally saying, look at this face forming. He's like, look at the mm-hmm. thing forming on the on the on the meeting. and him and I don't know I know that I know that he was a, a cherished member of your group, but I think he was mm-hmm. also a fairly experienced investigator. Oh um, yeah, that 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 uh, piece of thermal
1: image in that time was a thirty thousand dollar unit. Right. Uh, right, it was, and he had it, it because was, of the
3: fireman, right? Because
2: yeah, he was, was, oh, in, he was
3: dep- deputy fire chief, actually. Right. Um yeah, and he was visibly moved. You know, this it was it was something that was so intense and was so unlike anything he'd experienced. He was like, guys, you've gotta see this, you've gotta see this I and mean, it was it was that intense. Um, you know, another interesting thing about that when you come into the forest, which I'm sure pretty sure now a lot of these buildings have been burnt down. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, I I, right. I feel like I wanna write an entire book just on uh, paranormal places that burn down. It seems to be a very common thing, right? It seems to be like whether it's people or whether there's an unseen force that does it. A lot of paranormal buildings, you know, you have Danvers and you have uh, Foxborough and you have Taunton State, all these places that have these mysterious fighters that are associated with paranormal activity as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of them is also the reservation, you know, and the the meeting house or the greeting area, the welcome center um, of the reservation. So now – the Wampanoag have gone from, we don't like this place at all, to this is where our reservation is, and this is where we hold our meetings. And a lot of people over the years have reported um, hearing ceremonies and thinking that, oh, wow, okay, so I guess the Wampanoag are, are having a, a council meeting. And then they go because they're like, oh, I wonder if I can actually get in to go see it. And there's nothing there, but they can still hear the drums beating, and they can still hear chanting while they're there. Um, mm-hmm. and a lot of people who say, who work with energy, right? So that's the entire spectrum because, you know, there are a lot of people in the, uh, the Bridgewater Triangle who come from, um, who come from, uh, it's totally escaping me the place, but it's right off the coast of Africa. They speak Portuguese, can't think of what it is, not Cape Verdean. It, it's something else, I can't remember what it is, but they, that's um, fun. they practice Santeria, they practice, um, forms of voodoo they practice, uh, you know, um, uh, a lot of Wiccans in that area, you know, and then, of course, the cults and the satanic cults and all. People who work with energy find not only when they go to the forest uh, to do their work, things get juiced up and amped up. Um, mm-hmm. People who are more on the light side of um, using energy often report that if they do a spell, uh, at the Freetown State Forest, there always seems to be a dark tint to it afterwards. You know, if, so if they're going there and they're trying to put out an intention to the universe, uh, they always find that something very, you know, the intent works, and then something very negative happens to them almost immediately, almost as if there's some kind of trade-off.
2: Right. Right. It's an yeah. anti-spell. <laughs> yeah. Right, right.
3: Or, or, or I, like, I like to call it the Freetown payment. Like, oh yeah, we'll do that yeah. for you, and it'll be the it'll be the most juiced spell you ever cast. But we're gonna have to ask your firstborn child.
1: Yeah. <laughs> now you mentioned satanic, uh, and that's another thing too: satanic rituals uh, Santeria, has been associated so with the santana. forest as well. Yep,
3: yeah. I mean, you know, and this is where this is the kind of where Darkwood started for me was this question of because. You know, there are a lot of weird crimes that happen in, in Freetown that shouldn't happen in a place like that. Mm-hmm. Alan Al, who, who I spoke of before, was um, a fairly new officer at that time, <clears throat> and he was inducted very soon uh, or very quickly into his tenure as a cop there as to, nope, yeah, these are just kind of leftover hippies. They go into the forest, you know, they burn stuff, they they sacrifice some things. Mm -hmm. They're completely harmless, but they're there all the time. So very early on, uh, I think within two weeks of him joining the force or or officially going out into the field, he started to see the cult there. There were so many ritualistic um, deaths, crimes, that Alan Al, this, 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 which who should be just this kind of like, you know, Barney Fife guy in the middle of a rural yeah. community in Massachusetts yeah, right? that most people don't <laughs> even know exist, he became the leading police officer in the country and was consulted by other, by, by big city um, uh, police uh, departments would call him in because he had to become such an expert on cult crimes because there were so many weird things going on. Mm-hmm. Um, if you ask him... Um, The cult that was active in the forest, and there were many. There was one that was so uh, entrenched in the city and that area of Massachusetts that it was public officials and it was very important people, and there was no way you would ever catch them. Uh, That it was it was so secretive, and he would show me as we walked through the woods, um, little nicks in trees and. Uh, places where branches or where where a, a ribbon was tied in a certain way, and say this is this is the big cult. He always said it's like it's like they're like roaches. If you are looking at an area that has cult activity, it's a real cult, and you're seeing it, that means that there's a much nastier one you're not seeing. Um, wow. And so, according to him, I mean, they pretty much controlled that area, and then into Rhode Island, and after all this stuff came down. And people started you know the police and the authorities started to kind of flush the forest they moved into this one section of rhode island and that's now where the cult lays and and you know and some of it i think has to do with uh, him seeing cults everywhere but there are instances for example where they found um mutilated cows right they found all, right. all of these drained cows that have been sacrificed in the freetown state forest um or where you have, until people caught on to it, you would have these um, <laughs> these people who would report a lot of people buying cattle like at auctions, and then them not having farms, and <laughs> not, they're finding stuff in the woods. And and so if you look at just picture after picture of not only on the Asana ledge but in other places throughout the that forest, you'll see a lot of weird markings on things. Um, and then you look, and you think, oh, wow, that's a satanic symbol. And so there is this kind of, you know, to go out and listen to heavy metal music and do a lot of drugs kind of cult activity. But over the years, it's also been a stopping ground for cults that are a lot darker.
1: Hmm. Okay. Wow. Now, I know we're running towards the end of the show, and you mentioned another body of water earlier, and that's the Shad Factory Pond. What's the story on, on that?
3: So – um, oh, two minutes Should I wait for after the <laughs> doorbell? Yeah, two minutes <laughs> <laughs> Two minutes, okay um, So there used to be um, A working factory uh, That mm-hmm. employed a lot of people in the town of Rehoboth And it mysteriously burned down Just as we were talking about earlier
0: um,
3: yep. And According to some reports Because there's some sketchiness of the, of the history here Some people died in the for- in the fire Other people say it was closed at the time but people have been able to go there, and, and uh, they will actually see a reenactment of the fire, and they will hear screams, um, or Uh-oh. they will be on that air, in that area or on that or those grounds. And you can still kind of see, at least when I was there, some of the foundation. I think some of it's been, been pulled out now, and it's not necessarily as, as creepy as it used to be. Because um, all of a sudden, you'd be walking in the woods, and boom, there's this foundation, right? Um, right. People who have, like, traveled around that area have seen other people, and then all of a sudden they'll vanish. Um, and I remember in the book there's this one really creepy story about watching uh, yeah, watching for the other we'll
1: side of the water. Unfortunately, we'll have to keep for next time because, like, <laughs> those people, <laughs> our that. time has vanished.
2: <laughs>
1: ah. So anyways, we do have to wrap it up. Chris, uh, we want to thank you so much for joining uh, us today. Is Doc uh, Wood still available anywhere?
3: Darkwood and Ghosts of the Bridgewater Triangle are both still available at Amazon.
1: And uh, if people want to find out more about Chris Balzano, how can they do that?
3: The best place to go is either trippingonlegends.com or you can go to Facebook backslash trippingonlegends as well.
1: Awesome. awesome, Chris. I want to thank you so much. It was a great show. You, you so much information. I mean, we, we haven't even covered everything that's in there. So anyway, mm-hmm. I, know so I
0: think we did three Thank
1: you so. so much. Thank you very much, guys, for having me on. Yeah, you're welcome. So, Thanks, part Chris. Brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, three eighty six Merrimack Street, in Methuen, Massachusetts, and the Galant Messier Family Law Group, fifteen High Street, not the Andover, Massachusetts. Tune in next week. Good night and God bless.
2: Good night, everybody.